0: Sure. Good morning. If you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, your physical Bible here, your Bible on your phone, we also have Bibles in the back if you want to score one of those. We have notes back there as well if you'd like to snag those. But we are, uh, I think, in the fourth or fifth week of the series, All Things New, talking about this promise that Jesus gave us in the book of Revelation. Through John's vision, we have this, this promise in Revelation 21, verse 5, of Jesus saying, see, I've made all things new. Now, write this down. This is trustworthy and true. And, and that, that hope and that accounting of, of the restoration of all things is something that's great to think, out, think about in the abstract as far as future, but Jesus never intended our perspective on eternity to be something that was future-based alone, but something that actually bled into our current context in each and everyday life. The scriptures uh, seem to point to the reality that we as a people are not simply going to at some point die and go to some other dimension in some other universe or something like that, but that heaven itself descends down and restores this planet, which is why the the whole uh, set and stage is all set in that vantage point of reality that the, the restoration of God, the restorative work of Christ actually comes down and restores and makes, as Jesus put it, all things new. The passage that we're in right now is 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to encourage you, if you get a chance um, later on today, uh, just to read the beginning uh, portion, we're going to be focusing on uh, verse 35 and following, but this is an amazing passage because it's written by Paul, and Paul's such a unique person. We've talked about him a lot, and we get to him a lot because he's written like 40% of the New Testament, but this is a guy who with regard to the divinity of Jesus was an atheist, He was not a fan of Jesus. He was not a fan of Christians. As far as Christianity was concerned, if you're a Christian, he didn't simply disagree with you. He wasn't simply somebody who would come to you and have a debate about different theological distinctions, or even a a respectful debate where you'd walk away and disagreeing. If you're a Christian, he found your faith and your perspective, your ideology to be toxic and culturally problematic. Christians are the problem. To the point that, I mean, some people believe that today, but most people don't believe that Christians should be exterminated. Paul did until he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And all of a sudden, everything changes. And the thing that that, that hinges on what what, what happened with him in Christ is the reality that Jesus, who died, had actually rose from the grave. And in the beginning of this passage, he talks about how that really, this is of first importance. Jesus rose from the grave. That's not simply something that you tack off and check off as far as something on your doctrinal dogma agreement. It hinges on that. And so we get to this part where he's actually talking about the the reality of the resurrection body that's going to happen to those who are found in him. If you could stand as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with 35. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just the seed perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, and birds have another, and fish have another. There's also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun is one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars, another, and the star differs from star in splendor. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As we get into this, I, I, the question that people have um, as we're going through talking about, really, for the Christian, the afterlife, one of the questions that comes up is, well, what happens to our body? What kind of a body will we have in the afterlife? And, and though Scripture does not pinpoint all the details, it does um, fall into answering them, and I think in a, in a sustainable way, in a satisfactory way. And the reality is that everyone, with regard, with regard to your Christianity or not, falls into with regard to that answer, what happens to our body, into one of three stories. There's three primary stories that people are telling about what happens to their body in the afterlife. And the first story is the nothing story. The nothing story is nothing happens. Look, I, I was raised with, with Christian parents, and they were super religious. Granny was crazy religious. But it's just the more I've gotten like knowledgeable, the more I realize that the only thing that you can really measure and count on is the physical, the material. So I'm more of a materialist who understands that this world is all that we have. When I take my last breath and I have my last conscious thought on this planet, that is my last conscious thought, period. My future, it, it, at best, because energy doesn't, doesn't get destroyed, it just transfers. At best, the energy for my body will get a chance to go into the universe in some way. And in some ways that's satisfactory, but I'm not gonna be around to like understand that. There's no cognitive connection between my present and my future self. There is no future self. They would probably continue to say there is no self, but, but the nothing story is that reality of, look, as far as what happens to my body after I die, nothing, I, I decompose, that's it. The second story is the story of the good person. And this is what every single world religion could fall into. There's some type of a, an awareness of no, 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 there is an afterlife, and, and the, it's going to be better for good people. If you have the right religion, if you put your faith in the right God, if you do enough for this God or you say that you have the right perspective or you're better than the bad person, you're good. At some point, God or whoever's force in the universe will be there, will look at you and evaluate. Are you a decent person? And to which you have an amazing go-to if you ever get asked this. You could always say, I'm better than who? No, not Errol McFay. I'm better than Hitler. Yes, Hitler was the go-to I was going to for that. Yes, Hitler. I'm better than Hitler. I did not cause any type of genocide. I'm not a genocidal maniac. I've done bad. But I mean, who hasn't done bad? I'm not a murderer. And so it's almost like there's this, the second story has this perspective of like, okay, everyone, oh, Hitler. Okay, sorry. No, but everyone else, come on. Come on, come on, come on. And that, that second person story is the idea that this world is broken and our bodies decompose. There's something evil maybe or messed up about physicality. But one day, if we're a good person... We'll have a, have a have like we'll get our we'll finally get our wings, just like Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life, or we'll become some type of angelic spiritual being where we're where we're in in just kind of a renewed state. It'll be so much different than now if we're good, and that's that's portrayed all throughout every religion. And I, I, honestly, a lot of people who think that they're Christians would say the same thing. It's what's depicted um, in an amazing album um, by My Chemical Romance. Um, oh, I'm sorry, there. My Chemical Romance uh, wrote. Uh, this album called The Black Parade in the mid-early 2000s. And the whole album is about death um, from the beginning to the end. In fact, from track one to track two, there's, there's a, the sound effect that transitions from track one to track two is the flatlining of a, flat, of a, a heart monitor. And then you get to the rest of the, the whole uh, of, the, of the album, which is describing someone who's died of cancer and is grappling in the afterlife with this reality of disconnection. And the the thing is, is that the, the the person coming from Gerard Way's perspective, um, it, the the author voice in the album is communicating this terrible frustration with, I know that I'm not going to heaven after everything I've done, but will my girlfriend? Because is it true? Is it true what they say that all the good girls go to heaven? Will she get what she deserves? Eternity, this good place, is a place where you get to go there based on on your good deeds, and and that's a a distinction because he understands that he's not there. About 10 years prior to that, um, Billy Corgan um, of Smashing Pumpkins wrote a song that was a Grammy award-winning song uh, called Bullet with Butterfly Wings. And Bullet with Butterfly Wings answers the question of the second story by saying, no, actually all of us are broken to the point that there is no good in us that's redeemable. In fact, um, he said that uh, when interviewed about the song, Billy Corgan talked about how Freud said all of us have a psychic bullet in our mind. And if that, it's like a self-sabotaging, toxic bullet in our mind that through counseling and psychotherapy, it can ultimately be removed. But his response to that reality that Freud talked about is like, no, I, I, I can't experience that psychological healing. And, there's no, and, and, then, and he keeps coming back to over and over and over in the song, despite all my rage... Despite everything that I'm I'm after, despite the things, I'm I'm frustrated with my current context, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Despite all of my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. I can can be angry, I can be vindictive, I can be frustrated, I can want to change, but I'm still trapped. And it gets down to like the last 30 seconds of the song. Billy Corgan sings out, tell me, tell me I'm the chosen one. Tell me I'm the only one. Jesus was an only son for you. But then he responds with the repetition over and over again, but I still believe that I cannot be saved. I still believe that I cannot be saved. I still believe that I cannot be saved. I adequately critiqued the second story of if you're good enough, you'll go to a good place and your body will be restored and you have some type of angelic um, spirit body and it'll be all good versus what you experienced in this world. The interesting thing is, is that the third story is so much more on point, certainly from Scripture. It's the gospel story. And full disclosure, this is the story that I adhere to. Between the first three, this is the one. And, and I put this in your notes, but when, what the gospel story accounts is this. Death comes as a result of sin. Death robs us of life, but Jesus robbed us of death by taking death upon himself and giving us life. His resurrection for the early believers became the proof of a shared eternity. Resurrection became for the early Christian and Jewish population the missing piece to the afterlife puzzle. And the certainty of their afterlife. One of the the things that people critique, that aren't believers, critique about the Bible is there's this disconnection with the afterlife. You look at the Old Testament and it seems abstract and ambiguous, it's not really nailed down. But all of a sudden in the New Testament, there's all this specificity. Oh, they know exactly where they're going, what it's going to look like, what your body's going to be like. They have all this specificity, there's a disconnect. And everyone, Paul, Paul himself, would agree with that. Paul, who was a scholar, he was an Old Testament, it was the Bible to him. He was a biblical scholar of the Old Testament passages. And he would say, these were all pointing to an afterlife. But we did not have a picture of what that looked like until Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, Jesus, who is God incarnate, all God, all man, when he died on the cross and rose again, all of a sudden, we finally had a picture we had a picture of what we were hoping for. We had a picture of what all these passages were, were, were stemming towards. And that is this idea of a resurrected body. And according to Paul, if Jesus resurrected, those found in him would too. And then we would be like him. There's three stories. The third story speaks into our current context. If you're, and if you're not someone who buys the gospel story, you're here like you're maybe on one or maybe two, I'm glad you're here because I really want you to sink your teeth into this. This is just an amazing, amazing difference of of, of perspective that that shifting into the third story affords. The first reality that that if you are someone who has put your trust in the restorative work of Jesus, the gospel story, what that does, first off, it, it reminds you that this, that I will have a restored and revamped physical body. And we know that it's not this ethereal, like, angelic, I get my wings like Clarence, or so, like I'm some type of, like, ghost, because of the fact that Paul, the same author in the book of Philippians, says this, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his what? Glorious body. Do we have any account in the New Testament where we see Jesus' glorified body? Yes, we have it at the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. We also see Jesus um, in the, re- the resurrected Christ after he died on the cross and he rose again and he's hanging out with his disciples. Jesus was touchable. He was physical. He was recognizable. He could interact. And so when we're, when we're thinking about our eternity, we're not thinking about angels. Like we're becoming some type of other thing. We are human beings, but we are human beings like the glorified Jesus This is where Paul is getting in that passage we read to each of those metaphors. He's talking about a seed. If you look at a plant and then you see a seed, if you go and if you check out like Sequoias over in in California, amazing Sequoia National Park, these massive redwoods, humongous. And they start with like this dinky little seed. The seed is what leads to this, but this is far more glorified, beautiful, expansive than the seed. And Paul's like, that's what our bodies are going to be like. And then he goes into the animal kingdom. If you go over to like, uh, the field museum or you go to any type of natural museum where they're talking about evolution and they're like, look, this, this is a more evolved species or this animal is more evolved than this, that, that what you're seeing is, is this idea that, that there's some type of progression, like a starting point and then something that's much better. Well, Paul is saying, look, if you look at the different species, they're all living animals but they have different flesh and some are far more enhanced. Our future body will be like that. So just think about it that, through that lens. We will have the evolved Final version of what God always intended us to experience and have physically in eternity, if you're a third story person. He, he gets down and talks about space. He says, You look out in space and you see that there's differences. There's things that are super, super bright and things that are not. Think about the ones that are, are incredibly bright as the thing that we're, we're ultimately going to get to. One, one trippy thing that, that when I'm thinking about Jesus' glorified body in, in the Bible, we see Jesus appearing before his disciples. And they're not falling over, they're not, like, they're not dead, um, they're, they're interacting with them. They, they have redeemed hearts, their hearts are, are, have put their trust in Jesus. And just a, a little bit later in, in the book of Acts, the glorified Jesus appears before Paul. And the description that, Paul give, that, that Luke gives about what Paul experienced is that he was surrounded by light and it was Jesus talking to him. And what happens to Paul? He's blinded. His faith and trust is not in Jesus. So to look on the glorified Jesus was something that actually shook him to his core. I don't know what our our glorified bodies are going to be like, but they're going to be enhanced and significant. Um, But one thing that I I constantly am thinking about with regard to that is that I know what my body is like right now. And I'm somewhat of a klutz. And when I fall over and if I do, just the other day, I was taking something out to the garage, I totally like racked my knee and it was just like that splitting pain, you know? That's me. So my thought is if I've got a physical body, if it's not just a ghostly body but it's physical, how am I gonna keep that thing alive for an eternity? There's no way. Like I'm serious, and if if it's the restored Earth, what I'm gonna do on this planet I'm toast within a month. I am. It's no way about, you know, ifs, ands, if, if, or buts. But the reality is, is that, that, that all, any type of disease or cut or wound or death itself, all those things aren't a part of God's plan for eternity. We have those things on this earth as a result of sin. Randy Alcorn in his book uh, Heaven talks about that. He says, our destructibility is an aberration of God's created norm, death, disease and deterioration of age are products of sin. Because there was no death before the fall, presumably Adam and Eve's original bodies were either indestructible or self-repairing, perhaps healed by the tree of life, as suggested in Revelation 22 two. So he's talking about Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis. You go all the way to the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And there's this description of the tree of life. And in Revelation 22 too, it's talking about this tree of life that has leaves that are for the healing of the nations. A lot of people have opinions about what that means. For me, it's still a little fuzzy. But it's interesting that Alcorn points out that either our bodies are going to be indestructible, which would be awesome, or they're gonna be self-repairing, which is just as awesome. But the reality is that we will have physical, touchable, recognizable bodies that are now restored. They're now enhanced. We are going to have, if you're a third-person story person, if you're in the, in the gospel of Jesus, you're a part of the restorative work that he has afforded for you, you will have restored bodies. What will that mean to you? Like, what is it that, that, that your body is currently, like, struggling with? That you, you, you're getting that right now. But, but think about it not, not just that way, not just, not just the, what you are currently in pain about or struggling with, but in eternity, and eternity not having those. Think about what it's going to be like to have a body that is redeemed and restored and revamped. So you're actually, because right now, however good your vision is, it's marred. However good your ability to move, it's marred by generations of sin that's toxified this, all of our conditions. You're not operating at your full capacity. But what if you, what if you were? What if for the very first time you saw color with the eyes that God created you with that did not have the disparity of sin? I don't know what that's going to be like. But, but I, the closest that I can get is those YouTube videos where you see the, the people that are colorblind for their entire life, and and Chroma, they've got these, these, these awesome sweet glasses that they put on, and for the first time, these people see color, see what you and I see, but they've never seen it their entire life, and all of a sudden, it's like they've stepped into Oz. I mean, it's, it's, it blows your mind. In the movie The Matrix, you've got Neo, who, who is brought out of The Matrix by Morpheus, And when he's brought out of The Matrix, this this illusion of life that he thought he was living in, he asks Morpheus, why do my eyes hurt? And Morpheus responds, because you've never used them. It's an amazing movie. But the sad thing is is that Neo, actually using his eyes, he's realizing how dark and problematic the world actually is and how much of his world is actually an illusion. We will have the flip side experience when you wake up in eternity and see for the very first time Colors the way they were intended to be. And it might be something like these two colorblind brothers who get one of those sets of Enchroma and see color for the first time. Take a look. That's gonna really explode. Close your eyes and then open them. Look at the towel and dad. (laughs) What do you see? Tell us. What do you think, Joe? How are your hands on the line? They're both colorblind. Jimmy, tell us what you see. It's so bright. <laughs> is it it is bright. So check it out. It says he could wear them. It's so different. Happy, happy birthday dear, birthday. dear daddy, yeah, okay. happy, birthday, happy birthday, birthday to you. <laughs> no. what is Put them on. Put them on. The sunglasses. How does it look? Oh, here. Look at the balloons. Those colors of oh, so this baby good work. Come now you see with our eyes. <laughs> Take your hand down, close your eyes. Keep closed. There they are. Your eyes. They work. Buddy, <laughs> can you look at the Look at the frisbees. Can you see them? Can you see the differences? So I've been watching those stupid videos all week and crying my eyes out. <laughs> I love that there's a universal response whenever you look that up on YouTube. Shock. And then emotional response of tears. Because they've never seen the way that things actually are, but they finally do. Do you see a difference? Do you see a difference? The thing that I love about that is that um, that emotional response is going to be something where we're going to be met with Jesus, our Savior. Feeling what our body is intended to be all along. But it's not just having a restored body, it's also having a restored Mind, um, we see the promise in Scripture for the third story. People who have, you, know, you put your faith in any one of those stories, but the third story is is that not only does Jesus promise that He's going to give us a restored body that brings Him glory, watching His kids see the way that they were intended to operate, the way that they were intended to, but actually have a mind that the way they're intended to as well. This one's more difficult for me. Like I've I've embraced the the fact that our bodies break down. I'm 42. And even just this morning, I've had conversations with like a dozen people before they, they heard the sermon, just about like, how's life going? And what they, their go-to thing is just talking about like some of the physical ailments they're going through, or they just got through surgery, or they've just discovered, they just got the, the test back and they've got some bad news. These types of things, we grapple with that. Um, I have not had to, in my own personal life, I've not had to go through a whole lot of physical ailments or difficulties like that. But, I, but as someone who's watched my own body leading up to 42, I've realized that some things happen. The first time I, I saw this was like 2005 or so. I was in um, St. Lucia on a missions trip with Pastor Jason, and we had a free day, so we went to these like um, waterfalls. And I was like under the waterfall, and the water's hitting me and like coming down off my head and stuff like that. It's super cool. And Jason's behind me, and he's like, whoa, dude, dude, you're losing your hair. <laughs> and so I, I try to be as transparent as I could be with him. am like, uh, Jason, no, I'm not. And I moved on. A <laughs> couple years later, I'm walking. Um, uh, Jason and I are walking. Jason happens to be behind me, and I'm walking under a fluorescent light. And as I'm passing under the fluorescent light, Domingo is like, whoa, dude, dude, you're losing your hair. <laughs> like he forgot my answer on the first one. I was getting a little self-conscious about this. So uh, the person who's cut my hair for like the past 15 years or so, I said, so am I losing real estate back here? Because I didn't have the courage to look myself. Um, Am I losing real estate back here that that you have less to work with? She says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, is it thinning or something? And she says, no, no, it's not thinning. It's just softening. (laughs) She got tipped extra. It was, but then I ran into Jason Domingo. And he reminded me again. It was, like, it, was, it was awful, it was like this reoccurring thing. And then I was at, at the Liberty Arts Festival in Morris I'm walking through the crowd and Mike Harrington, who's a deacon now, can you believe this? Mike Harrington is trying to find me and then he sees me in the crowd. I'm walking like deep in people and he runs up to me and he says, oh, I thought that was you. I'm like, how'd you know it was me? Well, I saw the back of your head. That's my pastor. It's not a bald spot, it's a beacon for my flock. Julie was super, like, she had a lot of opinions about how I looked and how I did my hair when we first were married. Um, about seven years ago, no, 10 years ago maybe, uh, she stopped having as many opinions and I thought that she, she was just maturing as a person. And, <laughs> or I was getting more handsome, I don't know. And then I said, so Julie, you like how I'm doing my hair and stuff? She's like, you know what, sweetheart? You do whatever you want to do with however much time <laughs> you have left. <laughs> and all culminated like two months ago when Cohen, my, my son, who was behind me in the car, this is like a, a common thing when someone's behind me, start, starts just talking about how men bald. I'm like, he's like second grader, why is he talking about balding? And he said, Dad, you know how like it starts with a spiral on the back of like old men's heads and then it like, <laughs> hair just starts to fall out? Dad, that's happening to you right now. <laughs> now I've embraced that. What's harder for me to embrace in our, my current context is the difficulty with mind. One of the things I'm so grateful that I'm a third story person is that I will have a restored mind. It, throughout my life, since like junior high on, a little bit before that, maybe like even fourth grade, I have struggled with panic attacks and anxiety and for anyone who's ever struggled with any kind of mental illness or mental struggles, it's like so weird to look at people who, are like, okay, that guy's got a broken arm. That's explainable, but I've got a broken brain. It's so much more difficult because I can't control it or I can't point to something and say, this is why. And that's awful. For, for some people, it's not, it's not just like a mental illness. It's the doubt and difficulty. And for some people, the thing that leads them to suicide is not a physical problem, although that sometimes is true as well. But the thing that leads people to that wanting to end their life is the inability to deal with this breaking, this, 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 this chasm in our mind where we feel split and broken and broken apart. The thing that we have to be look forward to is the fact that we have a restored Mind um, we we have in the book of Isaiah Isaiah I, I, there's another chapter just to read the whole one sixty one one the whole chapter is talking about this messianic reality what Jesus is going to do in his restoration the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me this is the Messiah speaking because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor this is all part of the good the good news story he has sent me to bind up the what brokenhearted to proclaim freedom to the captives and to release and release from darkness. For the prisoners. The word brokenhearted is a compound word, leb for heart, and shabar, which is broken. Isaiah uses this word in other passages, talking about tree branches that are shattered by a force that's more powerful than they. And he's saying that there are people, as people on this planet, we are walking through this planet brokenhearted. We are shabar, we have a break in us. Uh, This one psychologist um, and book author by the name of Bessel van van der Kolk talked about how every person is walking with them the seed of broken personality. We have the shards of our life as we're walking through life and we have that inability to deal. And sometimes it feels like it's too much. We can't even handle it. We can't even go through one more day of this. And scripture says if you're in that third story, you don't have to. If you're in that third story, physically and mentally, however bad this is, on this planet is as worse as it's ever going to get. If you're a first person story, however you look, man, you better hold on to that because that's as good as it's gonna get. And you have every right to mourn every birthday because you, whatever you can maintain is diminishing, diminishing, diminishing. Whatever, however good or great your body operates or however great your your mind operates on this planet is as good as it gets. But if you're a third person, you realize that you have a promise from your Savior that he will bind up the shabar in your life, the break, the brokenness. James, Jesus' brother in James 1.8, talks about a person who has this disconnect from true faith in, in, in God, that, that I can actually pray to God, and I can believe that he's going to do it. In life, we struggle with doubt, and, and, and James says that that person's like a person that's back and forth. They're tossed around in, this, in the sea. He says, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And if you're an honest person, you could say, I, that's a reflection of me and my worst self. My, the worst version of myself is struggling with the fact that I am double-minded. The word for this is dip, uh, dipsychus, and the word is, is literally two souls or split souls. Dipsychus is, uh, is the word that we get psychology and psyche from, and it's this idea of two, two-minded. I'm struggling in life because I want to do this, but this is what I'm doing, or I want to believe in God, but I have these doubts, and I feel like there's this rage that's going on inside of me. And Scripture says one day when you see your Savior face-to-face, The double-minded fusion or break in fusion will be fused together. And you'll experience psychologically what you were always intended to experience. Eldridge puts it this way, and our healer will make us whole again. The little boy or girl who has so long hidden in fear, the angry adolescent, the heartbroken man or woman, all of you will be brought home to you, a fully integrated human being the book of Hebrews talks about this when, when he, the author of Hebrews says no, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, this is talking about our future the heavenly Jerusalem you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven you have come to God himself who is the judge over all things, you have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made what? perfect are you perfect now? No, no, again, as people who attend NBC, you're above average in intelligence and attractability. Granted, but folks, holy smokes. The idea of finally being in tune. What kind of perfection? Jesus, t- We get the description in, in, in the book of Revelation 21.4, describing what Jesus will do. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. and There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain All these things have gone forever. I don't know how he's going to do that, that first part. He will wipe away every tear. Jesus will wipe away every tear. When you see a restored earth and you you see the restored body that God has given you and you have the same emotional response as those kids Born without the ability to see color correctly, have to seeing the way it always was intended. I imagine that you will have tears flowing down your face. The book of Revelation says that He will dry them. And you will embrace the very one who authored your ability to experience that for His glory for eternity. Truth is, is that I'm going to be a fully integrated human being. If I have a revamped body, my, my physiology, and I have a revamped mind, my psychology, and those are finally put in unison and at, are at peace, I will be a fully integrated human being. I will be at peace with myself, peace with God, and peace with everything else. And finally, I will not be alone. This is the thing that we see that's so beautiful with what Paul is talking about. As he gets out of that end of that passage, he, he pivots from the whole fact that we're going to have a glorified body to the fact that, you know what that means? That means that, that, that we actually have a perspective on our eternity that we don't have to go through and mourn like everyone else mourns when we lose someone. All of us who have lost someone in Christ, all of us who've lost someone who are part of that third story, the story of the restoration, the good news story of what Jesus accomplished, anyone who is open to that, that Jesus did that with them, this is what ends up happening. Verse 52 of chapter 15. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then, and I love this, this is something that you and I can't completely wrap our brains around yet, but when that happens, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? I cannot wait to see someone that made a huge impact on my life, my grandma Hilda, who was a believer married to an atheist. She loved Jesus. She was a tough lady, but I can't wait to see her again. She's one that I lost a couple years back that I think about probably the most. I can't wait to see her and see both of us in our restored states because of what Jesus accomplished, and to embrace. And in that moment, the saying that was said will become true. Oh yeah, death doesn't even have any sting anymore. Why? Because I'm looking face to face. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he finishes the whole thing off by saying this. This is the conclusion. So, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. If you're part of the third story, if you're part of that hope that is built and based on faith that is rooted in what Scripture says, you have to pick one of these three stories. If that's the story that your life, you're pushing all the chips in and you're betting your life on, the third story, the gospel story, if that is what you're going with, stand firm. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. You're not living a life that's bubble-wrapped. You're not living a life that, that you're always freaked out and living in fear. You're not living a life that's calculated and where you're not sharing your faith with your friends. You're not living in a way that like, this makes sense to me. I know God's not cool with it, but I'm going to go with it anyway. You don't do that. You know why you don't do that? Because you're going, to be get, you're going to be given a revamped, restored body and mind. And you're going to be around people who have accepted this amazing, this amazing gift of the gospel as well. Nothing can hold a candle to that. This is why at the beginning of the passage, even before we read it, Paul's like, so why do I live so crazy? Why do do I put my life on the line all the time? If I was living for human hopes, I wouldn't have done what I did in Ephesus. If I was just living for this earth, I would party hard, but that would be it. It'd be a pointless party. I live on the edge every day because I'm gonna be given a new body. But I've got only so much hours and minutes on this earth. There are three stories. Which of the story are you living out? Which of the stories have you put your trust in, you're betting your life on? Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, as we evaluate how what we believe about our future stems in and impacts our present, Lord Paul, Paul's affirmation is that it, it causes us to stand firm In a world that feels topsy-turvy, sketchy at best, all over the place, you have called us to stand firm, to live with the youthful enthusiasm of people whose bodies will wear down and grow old and die, but we know that that is not the end of the story. Lord, I pray that today, regardless of where we're going, regardless of what we're doing for the Super Bowl, regardless of what our week looks like, regardless of what pain we're walking through right now, that we will live with the enthusiasm of a people who will ultimately be restored for you and for your glory. In that moment, we will give you thanks. And we're gonna give you thanks in advance now as we live that out. It's in Jesus' name and for his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. amen, amen. Go with God.